Welcome to Educate to Self-Regulate, a podcast for educational leaders, teachers, and students, where in less than 20 minutes, we unpack educational research to support you and your students to become better learners. Hey, Rory. Happy Wednesday. Shyam, how are you doing? It's great to be back. Yeah, I'm well. I'm keeping well. I'm healthy and enjoying well, at least the last few days, it's been sunny here in Canberra, but today's a little bit more overcast. We're not quite out of autumn just yet, I don't think. Yeah, I don't know if you've noticed, but the hay fever, I, I'm finding like, I feel like the last few days just with the, the tree pollen, I've, I've been hit by the bus. I'm still coping. I'm, yeah. I feel very fortunate that it's something that I do not suffer from. It's much worse here in Canberra, I believe, than in Melbourne anyhow. All right. You're on school holidays. School holidays. Feeling relaxed, setting my intentions for term four. It's really nice to be off after a chaotic term and uh, get to do things on the spare of the moment. Anyway, I went to my buller yesterday, which was really, really nice. Catching the last of the snow, beautiful day. So decided at 9 p.m. on Monday night, I was going to drive up on Tuesday morning. It was really nice to do something just off the cuff. The sun was shining and the snow was good. And that, for my knowledge of you, Rory, that kind of brings together that beautiful intrinsic motivation that you have for exercise and the outdoors. It's just so nice. Just so nice. Sitting at the top of the mountain, just wishing you could do that every single day. <laughs> yeah. it's a, it's a, that's a problem worth solving. I know. I did think that last night. I used to be actually while I was up there. Well, speaking of you know motivation for things, we continue the quest for understanding the science of motivation, at least in this first season, which may well have touch points throughout other seasons as well. But the big question we're answering is how do we motivate students on a big scale? But today we have a guest. <laughs> we have a special guest. I don't know if, if some of our listeners might re- remember you mentioning the Facing Challenge unit. We wanted to make a little... Sp- special episode here where I get to play interviewer and Rory gets to be the guest so that we can better understand the ins and outs of this unit and how it has been designed to help support student motivation in the classroom. I'm excited. Cool. Cool. I'm a bit worried that I'm going to have to do most of the talking here, (laughs) but we'll see how we go. Usually that's not too difficult for me. So I feel like normally with a guest on a podcast, we get to have a full conversation about your background and stuff. But given Rory's also co-host here, if you haven't met Rory and you're interested to know more about him, go back to our first Framing Up episode and you'll get to hear all about Rory's background. The man has a, a lot of expertise in the field of education and cognitive psychology. So Rory, with facing the challenge, now just for some context here, this is a year six unit. Year six unit. And it was positioned in term three. Yeah. For a period of roughly how many weeks? About eight weeks. And the reason why we've designed it is because usually at our school, we have an exhibition of learning where parents come in and we choose a theme or a topic And we design a lot of our learning around this theme or topic. And then that gets showcased to parents at the end of the term. So it's our big unit for the year. I wouldn't necessarily say it's a cross-curricular unit because the focus is more on the, you know, the personal capabilities and there's elements of well-being in it as well. But it's a unit of learning that encompasses lots of different areas of the curriculum. So there is literacy, there is reading, although I probably won't talk about those areas today but it is designed to be showcased. 
So what's the general outline of the facing the challenge unit? So it's essentially designed to create greater self-awareness for students of themselves as learners and be more strategic in how they think and behave when they feel challenged. Now, the learning challenges that they might face may not necessarily be in the context of maths or reading or writing. We encourage them to take on a challenge as part of the unit, but it can be anything that they want to learn. So some examples are people take on crocheting or they want to do animation for the very first time with absolutely no knowledge. So everybody's learning challenge is difficult, um, but there's a couple of lines of inquiry that we use to help scaffold the unit. So one is a literacy base, so we'll focus on that. But the other two is what happens in our brain and body when we are challenged and then the third one is, what can we do to overcome challenges with determination? So they're the lines of inquiry that help us build the knowledge that students need. And then when they get that knowledge, then they have to apply it in their own facing the challenge project over three weeks at the end of the unit. And, Does and that make sense? Yeah. And then so to clarify that exhibition that happens at the end, that's the students presenting kind of yes. what they found during that yeah. Three weeks. So we do present elements of our reading curriculum and our writing curriculum where would they have to investigate people that have overcome challenges and we read a biography about a person who's overcome challenge and we write biographies about, you know, famous females because I teach in an all-girls school who have overcome challenges. That all gets showcased as well, but so does the knowledge development and the learning journey of the facing the challenge. So every student has to create a video which has lots of different elements to it, but essentially showcases their learning journey over three weeks and the strategies that they use to overcome the challenge and what they learned about themselves while they were doing it. Without knowing all the ins and outs of this particular unit, there's some really obvious connections to the Australian curriculum or the Victorian curriculum. Yep. A substantial number being to general capabilities like yep. Social capability or even critical and creative thinking. Yeah. And then you, you're obviously addressing some of the content descriptors through the writing and then the literacy kind of. Yeah. So lots of literacy gets covered. Amazing. So I'm curious, Rory, because, you know, I work with educators from a range of year levels, et cetera. And I've never come across a facing the challenge unit specifically. Why create a unit that's focused on understanding challenge and overcoming them? One of the main reasons is we wanted to develop knowledge and skills required for a growth mindset without explicitly mentioning a growth mindset, if that makes sense. Because I think lots of students and parents have heard of growth mindset before, and a lot of them basically boil it down to saying yet after something that they can't do. And that has its place, but it doesn't actually help students develop capacity to focus on growth and view their intelligence or their learning as incremental rather than something that is fixed. And it doesn't give them any strategies to essentially try harder or be determined. And they're all the things that we wanted to do as part of the unit, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does, actually. So that's a nice segue into my next question, which is, given this desire to foster a growth mindset without actually publicly calling it that, yep. what were some of the strategies that, that you were teaching in this unit? So some of the knowledge-based stuff that we taught, which 
I think is metacognitive knowledge, knowledge of each student and how they learn is we did quite a few lessons on neuroplasticity and what neuroplasticity is and what happens in our brain between neurons and synapses and how they create new neural pathways whenever things are difficult. We actually used the Think Plus curriculum for that. They've got some really good resources on that for anybody who wants to access it. We also connected with Jared Cooney Horvath, who is an educational neuroscientist, and he did two webinars where he talked about neuroplasticity again and shared lots of stories about people from the past who maybe achieved their success through practice. And he also shared some research, longitudinal research about people who were successful later in life and what they were told about their learning as they were younger and whether or not they were told that they were gifted or had high IQs or whether they were told that they didn't. And all of these sorts of things were to help students build this knowledge of if you want to be successful, then you have to engage in challenges. You have to rewrite your stories and you have to do things that are difficult and practice, 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 practice. So there was knowledge and element to it. We also taught for specific strategies, like explicitly taught them. And we called them universal strategies for challenge. And there was repetition with adjustment. So you have to keep going at things and reflect on what you could do better each time. We did breaking a challenge into smaller parts, which I kind of see as a metacognitive planning strategy. So think about what you have to do, what would be logical to do first, what are going to be the difficult parts, how could I negate that difficulty, etc. We used two strategies which had a basis in motivation, which number one was coach, not a critic, which was to help reframe self-talk. So... We watched videos of people engaging in things that were hard, usually young girls. So an example is someone dropping into a high ramp on a skateboard and she's paused for 45 seconds to a minute at the top. So we would pause that and say, oh, what sort of things could this person be you know, saying to themselves? What might be helpful? What might be unhelpful? And then pull out you know, lots of different examples of self-talk. And then we introduced that as a strategy, coach, not a critic, because coaches help you by giving you instructions and they help to keep your spirits high and they don't criticize you because that's not going to help. So that was the coach, not a critic strategy. And then we also had the what's my why strategy to kind of increase task value and maintain effort because of all the benefits that you see and why you're engaging in the challenge and why it's important to do hard things. And they could then draw upon the knowledge about neuroplasticity and things that we'd already deliver, delivered as, oh, I'm essentially changing my brain to help me do challenging things while I'm doing this task. So they were the four strategies that we explicitly tried to teach. So I'm going to see if I can recite some of those back to you. I'm going to work backwards, right? The recency effect. What's your why, which you mentioned last week in our yep. last episode. So what's your why, which is you know, really cool. I, I love the kind of labeling that you give these strategies because I talk a lot about the Nemo approach, which is name, explain, model, and provide an opportunity. Yep. You've got a very clear name here for these strategies. Like what's yep. your why? Coach, not a critic. So they're, they're easy even for me who's hearing them for the first time to latch on to and just as a name go oh yeah cool okay something that's easy to remember that the students can refer back to 
but there's quite a lot of research and things behind the principles of them, but that's not what they're called in research. That's a name we give them for the students so they can remember them. Yeah. So there was that planning strategy where the students are breaking down a task. What's the name of that strategy? We just called it breaking a big task into smaller parts or breaking a challenge into smaller parts. So it's essentially just encouraging strategic thinking on how to do something at a more granular level. So it's catchy. It's like break it down. And then the first one was repetition with adjustment, which I love too, right? Because there's this notion of, well, deliberate practice, but also... That's exactly it minor pivots that we make that actually make all the difference because it actually reminds me of that is it an Einstein quote you know if you do the same thing over and over again expecting a different result uh, yeah. it's the definition of insanity yes I know what you mean and so it's about making those little tweaks so that adjustment is so important so I love those four very clear strategies for me so it would have been cool to be a fly on the wall in your classroom and see how they actually manifested as taught strategies I suppose it's important to note that Teaching these, we didn't really feel like was enough just to introduce them, set up the project and then see what happens. Like that's not really effective teaching. So what we did to monitor students' use of the strategies was at the end of every week, they had to complete a six question reflection. And there's elements of attribution theory in this as well. So they had to identify what went well and why, what didn't go so well and why, what strategies they used that week and how it was beneficial to them. So they actually had to explain, oh, I used the coach, not a critic strategy at this point, And this was how it was helpful for me. So they actually had to explain the thought process that, that they went through. And then the last question of every reflection was exactly the same as well. And it was in what other areas of your learning could you apply this strategy that you used? So that's to encourage transfer and think about where they could use it, maybe in maths or literacy, or maybe even a basketball rather than in their crocheting project that they were working on. And we we give feedback on those reflections. So over a period of three weeks, they completed three strategies and we were essentially building their capacity to use the strategies because we were giving them feedback on how they say they were using them. And I felt like that was really, really important. And then they built those reflections into their final video. So as part of the final video, they had to include videos and photos, but they also had to do a voiceover talking about what strategies they used, what were most important for their given challenge context. So we showed the full learning journey, not just the product at the end, if in fact they were making something. Mate, I'm absolutely loving, this is music to my ears, really. An educator who's actively building in structures and instruction that directly fosters or is intended to foster self-regulated learning in students. And I have many more questions here, which we're running out of time here. So, hey, you know, if the listeners are really keen for us to extend this conversation to have a part two for us to dig in a little bit deeper into some of those assessment elements, please let us know. I can play interview again, and I'm sure Rory's having to be a guest <laughs> on the Ed to self Reg podcast again. But to honour our structure of the podcast, let's get into our On The Reg segment. Let's uh, do it. So, Rory, what are you self-regulating this week? I've mentioned before, being on holidays, I tend to set a schedule for myself for the day so I can use my time effectively. But something that I have to be totally honest with uh, is that I can set a schedule and say, oh, I'm going to use these two hours for this, this one and a half hours for this. 
but I always find that I end up going overtime or I don't get started whenever I intended to. And I feel like it's something that I really want to improve as a person, not just as a learner, is to try and be really, really impactful with how I use my time. And so that's what I'm practicing while I'm on holidays, where I technically have less distractions as I would whenever I'm at school. And then if I can do it well when I'm at home, then I'm going to try and bring it into school life, which is infinitely harder, but that's what I'm aiming for. This is a this is a hot topic in schools. I ran a workshop with a group of leaders from primary school the other day and that notion of how do you manage your schedule with so many disruptions and honour that schedule truly. It is a challenge and I think sometimes when people talk to me, they're like, oh, but shy now that you're not in a school, it must be easier for you to do. But the reality was that, you know, there was a time when I was in a school full time and like hand on heart, like it was busy, but I still managed my schedule probably more religiously then than I do now because <laughs> I had to, right? It was like a whole nother level. So I think it is possible yep. and it's good for you, you know, in terms of problem solving, just uh, making those minor adjustments, right? And keep trying. To know that it can be done is inspiring. <laughs> it absolutely can. And I used to I used to share that with leaders that I worked with and now share with leaders now as well. The little tips and tricks, the strategies for how to make that work. What about you, Shay? What are you regulating? Well, you know, it's it's funny because I guess on that same kind of wavelength, one of the points of conversation that has come up for me recently is the notion that, you know, with teaching, there's always something more that we can do. And so it is hard sometimes to stick with those blocks because designing a really engaging lesson or crafting a learning experience, as I like to say, is is essentially a black hole. Like you can, you can spend hours on pursuit. Yeah. You can always think a better question. You can always design the worksheet a little bit better or the activity a little bit better. And there is no boundary unless we as educators set those boundaries. And so this kind of relates a little bit to attribution theory in, in the notion of where do we place the kind of control element? Like who? what's the cause of this? Yeah. And so I like to think about how I put boundaries around some of the tasks that I do to make sure that I honor the schedule. Which is yeah. probably why you're very good at sticking to your schedule. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because sometimes I've got an hour to design this workshop and then I might get to the end of that hour and realize actually I need more time. Now, some people will say, okay, that's fine. I'll just keep going on it now because I'm on a roll. Whereas yeah. I'll go, okay, let me look at my schedule <laughs> and I'll go, okay, I actually know these other things are important today, but oh, look, I've got a little opening on Friday or that can be moved back to next week. I'll slot yeah. in another hour there because yeah. I probably now realize I need another hour. Yeah. Um, and so I actually reshuffle my schedule and move things back or delete things or whatever to make time for them. I don't just allow the slot to keep going. And so I think that might be the difference, but I'm not 100% sure here. That's just a little insider into my brain. Well, I think that that's a way to plan well is to create gaps so that they can be filled rather than just using your time well is only sticking to the times that you set initially. It's knowing that sometimes things might go over and planning spots to do those things that run over in those other slots. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool. Now, that brings us to the end of On The Rake. If you are a new listener to the podcast, make sure you share it with friends, save it or subscribe. And if you have any questions, and we really want to hear from our listeners, if you have any questions or comments, send us a DM through either of our social media channels, which is Twitter and Instagram at 
Ed to self-reg. And I think that's us for the episode, Shai. Um, and as always, to you and everyone else out there, keep regulating.